In 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17, God speaks to us in his word. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Am I good? Okay. Um, good to see everybody this morning. Hey, sorry, uh, Zach just told me he let you guys know about the AC. Um, so thank you for, uh, for um, being here and dealing with the heat. We have, uh, we have some water on ice in the back of the room in the ice chest, and you guys are welcome to go and get that at any time. I told Zach this morning, I just don't even know how the first church uh, met underground without air conditioning in Romans. Sorry. The little zinger for our church today. Sometimes, man, it's good. Honestly, I like it when God interrupts us. I like it when we um, get a little uncomfortable. It helps us bring some clarity to us. So, but all that to say, um, I do also want to just apologize for the heat today. Um, <clears throat> so, listen, we're in this series uh, called Rhythms of Grace. And we kind of are trying to rename this, the idea of spiritual disciplines because it just doesn't, it just doesn't fit what we think um, these habits really do for our heart and our life. It does take discipline, but spiritual disciplines, that's what they are. But really, they embody more just grace in our lives. So last week we kicked off Rhythms of Grace, and this week, we're continuing in that. And the goal is this, for all of us in the room, well, if you're honest with yourself, all of us would say, as Christians, we don't desire God enough. I don't really just desire God naturally. The way that humanity works is not up and to the right. It's not like we're on this steady climb and every day we go, man, I'm so glad every day I desire God more and just don't even have to do anything. I just wake up, I love God more, I love him more than I did yesterday and I didn't even think about him in the last 24 hours. I just so happen to be a better Christian today than yesterday without doing anything. Has anybody figured out how to do that yet? No, and if you said you did, you're not telling the truth. In church. Amen. Back there. We want to desire God more. And we can't figure out, like, why don't I just naturally do that? So what we do is we get in this perpetual tail chase where we're just constantly mad that we're not perfect. We're constantly upset at the Bible when it tells us that our heart is actually above all things, it's wicked and deceitful. It deceives us. Our heart, our gut, tells us to go one way when sometimes the Bible tells us to go another. And it's just so much more natural to follow our feelings. 
We need habits. We need rhythms. We need to go to God to even know how to desire God. And there are things that we need to grow in our maturity as a church so that we can actually be disciples of Jesus. Today, we're gonna look at the rhythm, the habit, even the discipline of scripture. Why does this book matter? Why do we preach from it? Why do we give it to you? Why do we write guides on just the Bible for every community group that meets every single week? The reason is because this book contains what we need to know God. It is interesting. We have a book that God himself wrote. And most of us are constantly frustrated, are sometimes frustrated at our lack of desire for God without actually even going to the way that he speaks to us, the voice of God in a book. That's what the Bible is. Today we need to crack it open and see what Paul is gonna say to Timothy. Verse 12 pretty well sums up what is gonna happen to all of us in our desires. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution, we usually think about is government persecution, and sometimes that's there, not really in America, to be honest, but government persecution. We think about outside world persecution. But the things that we rarely think about is just the persecution of our own flesh and the persecution of Satan, who hates us. Our own flesh, we heard from uh, Dr. Matt Arbo last week, the, the idea that boredom is something that we cannot comprehend in this world. That's persecution of your mind and your heart to keep you from actually thinking about, contemplating, meditating on God, reading the word. To have more desire for God means that we need to remember these things, the habits that he's given us. It means that we need better handles. It actually means one foot in front of the other, which requires something. It's not just a stalemate. It requires brain activity and muscle work. The worst thing that we can do is to stop and to act like it's owed us, to not continue, forget who we are. So what's the result of that? What's the result of stopping, not walking, not pursuing, not reading, not meditating? It's this, verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Evil people and imposters. What an interesting thing. What's an imposter? Someone who acts a certain way, but in actuality is not that. Someone who pretends to be something but is not that at all. Imposters, they go on from bad to worse. It's not up and to the right. It's this steady pull away from God. That's the curse of the world. They're deceiving and also being deceived. But for you, listen to me, for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing 
from whom you learned it. Talking about the rhythm of Scripture, what you have learned, what has been passed to you, what you have read, what you have heard taught, letting it get inside your bones, be in the way that you walk in life. Um, I'm going to try to do my best to preach this today without showing you my angst. But I stand up here today preaching on how important it is to read Scripture is a bit ironic for me because I probably need this sermon today more than anybody in the room. It's my job to read and teach the Bible. That's my job. And I still struggle with this book. So let me just ease your mind. We're all in the same place. The shame that you feel, the pain that you felt, how the Bible has been abused maybe even in your life and heart. We're gonna go to the word today together and hopefully God will form our hearts towards his word. Second Timothy is this, Paul is writing to a pastor, he's writing to young Timothy. Timothy is young. He is the pastor of a church in Ephesus, which at the time was the church in that known world. Timothy, a very young pastor, sat under Paul, followed him. Paul has discipled him. And while you might think that just some would say that this is just a job coaching session for Timothy, he is doing that. He's writing to Timothy as a pastor. He tells him how to look out for wolves and how to train people in godliness and and how to stay on course. He tells him how to handle the word of God, but it's more than that because Timothy is what Paul says, you are like a son to me. So Paul is actually discipling Timothy. So today is a book about discipleship, which is what you are. You may not be a pastor, but just like Timothy, we're gonna learn from Paul, um, from the Holy Spirit through Paul, to how better to follow God. So this applies to every single person in the room. And the questions that we're answering, we're asking right now and trying to answer today is very simple this, but they're profound. It's what the whole world is trying to figure out, but maybe you in this room today as well as we approach scripture. What is the Bible? Why does it matter? Does it have depth and meaning? Is it archaic? Is the Bible sacred but ineffective? Is it just a symbol or is it just a relic? Is the Bible just a relic? Is the Bible just a book that culturally speaking we say, yeah, we believe that that book really matters, but we don't really know what's in it. It's just a relic. <laughs> uh, in my small town growing up, I had a cousin a little bit younger than me. I'll never forget this moment. There's this kind of prevailing thought back where I grew up in the South that we honor this book, but we don't really know what it says, but man, we honor it. But I'm not quite sure what it says. And then when it gets to a part that's really offensive to me, I just kind of twist the words a little bit. But still, we honor it, but we don't read it. And growing up, I remember talking to my cousin once. I walked into his room, and, um, and I looked around his room. I was like, man, it's kind of a train wreck in here kind of messy. He was like, yep. He said, but I want you to look at that shelf. You see the one book on that shelf? I said, yeah. He goes, that's the Bible. 
It don't move from that shelf. I don't let anything get close to it. I dust it off from time to time. That's my most prized possession in this room. And I was like, have you ever read it? Do you know at all what it says? He said, no, but it's not dirty. I said, amen. That is a silly story that kind of represents some of our thought in the Bible Belt about the Bible. It's just a relic. There are a few camps that we fall into. The Bible is a relic. Second one is this. The Bible is just a seatbelt. It's a rule book for your life. How many of us have heard that growing up? That this is basic instructions before leaving earth. Rule book for your life. And that's all it's good for. If I can just get 15 minutes a day or when I'm feeling really sort of depressed about my life, let me go to this. Or if I have a crossroads about a decision I need to make, let me go to this book and figure out what decision I need to make. And then that's it. It's just a seatbelt. We know we should be reading, but only because we're told that. Read scripture to keep from blowing my life up, which that's true. It can do that, but there's no freedom in it. It doesn't have any life. There's no joy. It's just when I'm stuck, I go to it. It's a rule book for my life. The Bible is a relic. It's a seatbelt or it's a nuisance. It can be frustrating. I can't even do what it says to do, so I just kind of throw in the towel. I don't even understand what it says half the time. There's no fun in this. There's no joy. It's just confusing rules that no one can actually live by. If I want to have real life, I need to get outside of this book because we can't do it anyway. It's a nuisance. It nags at me. So everybody just throws in the towel. Or finally, it's the good book. It's the good book. Culturally speaking, it's what we reference when we need to. It's our heritage. Mostly, it's a book that proves me right. It's a moral compass, but I like how it backs me. I like how it approves of how I vote or don't vote or whatever. But there's no real power in it. There's no real heartbeat to this book. It's not God's active voice. It's just stories and advice and something my grandparents had in the middle of the table. It's the good book. It's a relic. It's a seatbelt. It's a nuisance. And it's just a good book. All of us do some of these formally or informally. We just don't care to admit it. So what is the Bible? Why does it matter? It's a lifetime of learning it. It does have a heartbeat. One of the ways that we're going to try to learn it together is just want to put on the screen again, uh, this coming Thursday, June 23rd, we're going to worship together. And we're also going to teach uh, Blake Randolph and I on what this Bible is. I want to invite you to come to that. I want to invite you to come ready to sing and pray and take notes because we need to be people of the word. We're having three of those throughout the summer. We're gonna learn about covenant theology. We're gonna learn about the history of the Bible. We're gonna learn about Jesus in all of scripture. And then we're gonna learn practically how we study it. Why does it matter? Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness. What an interesting thing how to describe this book. It is breathed out by God. The first thing we got to see is simply this. It's God's literal breath. The Bible is God's breath, oxygen from God's lungs into our body, eternal breath. Breathing to me in life, 2020 do, I mean, some pretty unprecedented times. Anxiety is at an all-time high across the board and it keeps growing. Panic attacks, even with things that wouldn't have really messed with us 20 years ago, 30 years ago, especially not 50 years ago, things that would not have caused any disruption or despair or anxiety in our life are, are causing it at quadruple the rate now. More people are medicated now than in the history of the world. Life is suffocating. We don't know why. We don't know why it's so hard to breathe. Do you ever feel that way? Do you feel that way? Be honest. I just can't, I can't catch my breath. Isn't that an interesting thing that we say when we're just running full of stress? We could label that stress work, whatever, however we wanted to, but the thing that we use to describe a stressful situation or a stressful life is, I can't catch my breath. What an interesting way to put it. We need to breathe. We need to have oxygen fill up our lungs and exhale. Go see someone about stress. Go try to do any exercise about stress. And what do they tell you? Breathing exercises. Life is suffocating. God, I love this, God describes the book that he wrote as his breath. The obvious thing is this, is life is gonna continue to be suffocating. It is the way the world has been bent. It is constantly pressing in on us. There is a way to breathe, but it comes from God's word. It comes from God's word. It's not a relic. It's not just a good book. This book has a heartbeat. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you open it and read it in a habit, even when it doesn't make sense to you fully, but you just keep on going, which by the way, join the club. I should know it better than anybody, and I rarely do. It gets into our bones. It fills up our lungs with eternal oxygen. It helps us to set our mind on Jesus. If we're wondering today, why can't I think about God more? Why can't I look to God more? Why do I feel like I'm suffocating, I'm drowning? I'm just gonna ask you, and look, I'm, I ha, we need to be honest with each other. I wanna be honest with you. How often do you read this word? How often? It's the breath of God to our lungs. If you are suffocating today, we need his breath. We need the Bible. It's God's breath. The second is this, it's profitable. I love that description. It's profitable. It's not a waste. It's the best return on investment. 
All scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. I'm going to ask you to do something that's actually an anomaly in a Bible Belt church. I'm going to ask you to be honest and vulnerable at the same time, which one requires the other. So be honest and vulnerable. In church in Oklahoma, we don't really like to be who we actually are. We just have figured out kind of how to look like the person we think we should be as opposed to who we actually are. The problem with that is our actual selves never change. We're just only changing our ideal self. So I'm gonna ask you to be honest and vulnerable. When I read to you that scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, here's the question. Be honest. Do you need to change? Do you need to? Be honest. Think about your life. How many times have you actually asked yourself that question? How many times have you come to the conclusion, I think I need to change? Do you even ever think about yourself, period? The Bible says a mature man or mature woman will be strengthened in their inner man, thinking about themselves, not just their actions. Or maybe your actions are a tell sign of how you need to change. That's me. Do you need to grow? Do you need to change? The arrogance of man would say no or would not even think about that. Christianity 101 is this. This is, there's no way around it. This is simply what it means to be a Christian. Deny yourself. That's what it means. It is a daily thing. It also means this. Work out your salvation with both fear and trembling. Scripture is breathed by God. It is profitable for change, for teaching for reproof, for correction. Why do we need correction? It's because we need to change. Life without a steady diet of the word of God is a life of spiritual anemia. What we do or don't do is a direct reflection of our true beliefs. I'm gonna say that again because what you do or don't do is a reflection of what you actually believed. There's a big church term theological term called praxis and it's how we work out our theology and if you believe something which is theology for instance if I say I believe that Jesus was risen from the dead and I believe the same thing that happened to him the same resurrection power is at work in me but then I don't live that way if I'm in a constant state of questioning or whatever it is and not trusting God, well, I probably don't really believe it. How we walk is a direct reflection of what we believe or don't believe. Without the word of God, without going to the Bible, without it becoming breath to us and seeing it as profitable, here's what we're saying. I wanna put it on the screen. It says this, I, do, I don't need God to speak to me. Are we able to get that up there? 
Now I ask you, do you need to change? And I've told you that the word is what changes us. It's profitable for reproof. Now just imagine you saying this phrase. I don't need God to speak to me. That's what I do. That's what we do when we don't go to this word for change. We won't go to this word to hear his voice and his breath. I don't need God. I don't need him. I'm doing pretty good without him. I think I'll be just fine. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction. Third thing is this. It's training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. Habits. Rhythms, practice in righteousness. Fighting sin is not an overnight deal. We want victory fast and right now. And sometimes, by God's grace, it's a miracle. It comes. We're able to overcome a thing that's been a part of our life forever because of God's goodness. But we're not designed for that to be the norm. We're designed to need habits to get there. We need training. We need practice The Bible is not just a tool or a point of reference. It says right here, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What it's telling us is this book in and of itself is the training that we need to be a little more sinless. Maybe you've been struggling with something a long time. Maybe The way that you've tried to remedy that struggle, that habit, is by praying every so often, maybe even with tears, asking God to take it away from you. Look, I'm not going to, that's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to do. Lord knows I've done that. But maybe just implore you a little bit today that what we need is maybe something different than that now. We need this book. We need a steady diet. We need to say, God, speak to me. Train me in righteousness. I'm not always going to feel your power. I'm not always going to feel your presence. But I know this book can get in my bones and change me. It's profitable. It's profitable. Which leads me to the last thing here in 2 Timothy 3. It's what builds us up in our maturity. All scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible here is doing what it does a lot. It's not just singling out males. This is true for all of us. But I do, on Father's Day, want to talk to the men in the room real quick. That the man of God may be complete, Equipped for every good work. Men, let me ask you a question, men. What does it mean to be equipped? What does it mean to be equipped in life? If I were to ask you right now, hey, I want you to go make a list of all the things that you need to be equipped for. Make a list of all the things that you feel incomplete in. What list would you put together? It could be, I need to get ready for the dark day. What, if, what about financial hardship? What if I lose my job? What if my family, what if, 
I've got to put bread on the table. I need to get savings covered. I need to take the pay raise. I need to look for the pay raise. I need to, that's how I need to be equipped to cover my family and myself. A lot of men go that route. That's a good thing for a man to do, by the way. Maybe it's, maybe I say be equipped. Maybe you think, okay, I'm gonna get trained for war. I'm gonna learn to fight. I'm gonna learn to shoot a gun. Maybe a crossbow, if you're cool enough, I don't know. I need to get ready for, just in case there might be a zombie apocalypse one day, so when you start getting cans, build a bunker. Or maybe just your family in general, I, the breadwinner, I need to put food on the table. It's no doubt, listen, all of these things are good things to be equipped for. But I wanna take a minute and look at the ultimate man, Jesus, when he was faced with this same question, how to be equipped, here's what happened to him. Jesus, after he's, before he starts his ministry, after he's been in the temple, lived a long time, he goes into the wilderness, follows the spirit there to be tempted, 40 days. And Satan is there to tempt him. And this is what happened. Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Isn't that what he does, comes to us in our weakest moment? But he answered, Jesus did, to Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. Jesus is our example as the ultimate man, the ultimate Christian, the ultimate God follower. He says, I don't need bread. I need the word of God. What he does to the enemy there is he quotes scripture, Deuteronomy 8, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus himself, who along with the Father and the Spirit, lived, breathed, and wrote the Bible, quotes the word of God, to the enemy and says, I don't need bread, I need God. Let me challenge you today a little bit. What you need more than anything, what it means to be equipped, is to be equipped in this word. To know it, for it to be bread and water to your life. How do we fight sin? How do we desire God? How do we wake ourselves up to God and continue to pursue him? It's his word. Do you lack desire for God today? Do you want to know God more? Do you want to get out of the rut of just rule books and knowing like I'm a Christian, I better read the Bible. Open up 
this book and let it speak to you, your inner being. Let it form you. Let it get inside of you. Walk in it. Learn it. It's life to your bones. My prayer for us is this. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And then Psalm 119, I love this. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. I hate every false way because of your word, not because of my natural heart. Because of your word is how I hate sin. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Do you feel afflicted today? Do you feel like you cannot escape these dark habits? The word of God tells us right here, give me life according to your word. So my invitation for you is this today. Practically speaking, I'm not, I wouldn't expect you to I, go from zero days a week to seven days a week reading the Bible. Some of you guys are achievers in the room. Some of you are overachievers. You don't have to do that. What I would ask you to do, now look, if you read it seven days a week, praise God, go for it. Maybe you need to start with two days, three days. I, I don't know, but either way, this needs to become a habit for us, for me and for you. And the reason why is, is not so that you can perform well. The reason why is because this is life. This is life, the breath of God. It's not a burden. It's contrary to a burden. It's casting your burdens on him. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. That's joy. That's life. That's God's presence. Speaking of the word, what Jesus did as the word, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us and gave himself up for us. So today we're going to come to the table we're going to take communion like we always do. And let's come and remember his goodness. Let's come and set our feet in this book again. Say, Lord, I, I, give me hunger for it. Let me, let me thirst for it. Let me read it and devour it. Give me passion for your word. Let's stand.